the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. This is from Joel right in the midst of difficulty and the judgment of God. And here we find out that there's hope and that God's Spirit is going to be poured out. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarland. Join us today as we go through the book of Joel. We may get close to the end if we don't finish, but we hope you've enjoyed this short study of this short book and continue to enjoy it today. Alex, we find out, chapter 1, we find out those locusts came and ate up everything. Chapter 2, the armies was coming. Later on, we'd find out that would be the Assyrian army that would come in and destroy it. But now as we get to chapter 2, verse 28, we're talking about the, the ultimate day of the Lord is what one writer said. And we're talking about before that day, what's going to happen during that judgment period. And then finally, the blessing after that day. So we got a lot of material to cover if we do that. But isn't it great that when you read the Word of God here in Joel, 800, 850 years before Pentecost and and then Peter would pick this up and say that this same spirit that Joel was talking about has fallen on the church today. What amen. a blessing that was, the day of Pentecost, wasn't it? Well, amen. That That is a blessing. And, you know, from the, uh, the day of Pentecost throughout the church age to the very day in which we live, I mean, that's been a long 2,000-year interval that I think maybe some people didn't anticipate. But let me let me... Uh, point out something here, Bert, if we could. And by the way, it's such a blessing to be with you on the radio, brother. But in verse 28, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men see visions. Verse 29, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Bert, now, now think with me here, and I don't want to spiritualize too much. But um, the sons and the daughters were the Jews, and the servants and the handmaids that also get the Spirit of God, could that in a way, um, not completely, but could that be a little bit of a reference to the Gentiles being grafted in? Alex, I don't think you're spiritualizing. I really do believe that. You read that. me here. I do. because And look at the word in verse 28, the last, last word of the phrase, and I shall come to pass afterward. In other words, yes. after, I've, I, after all this happened. Now, what happened with them there in verse 27 and backward, uh, it, it, it was going to happen, and it would be a long time before this day came. And so I think it is. The sons and the daughters, they shall prophesy, the old men and the young men. I mean, that I believe that's the Jewish people. But when you go to the maid servants, the men servants, uh, I think the prophet Joel is putting a distinctive note on it, that it is upon all flesh. 
You know, no yeah. one is exempt, Jew or Gentile, male or female, young or old. God's going to have his spirit. And and what was taking place in the Old Testament with the Holy Spirit coming upon select people at select times, it's not going to be that selected. It's on all of those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus. The Spirit of God comes into their life. What Amen. a promise, isn't it? Well, do you remember when you and I talked through the book of Matthew in Matthew 15, there was uh, a Canaanite woman who had faith, and she said to Jesus, well, even the dogs happily, gratefully eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, wow, you've got great faith. Well, look, dog was a euphemism for Gentile, being, you know, not part of the covenant family and outside the temple. And this is just one of the great things. We... Maybe sometime when we do a pre-record, and very often when Bert and I pre-record, we'll do something that's topical. We ought to do a thing of all the wonderful passages that reference the Gentiles getting grafted in. Amen. And I, I, I think this is one of those. And chapter 2 concludes, um, you know, after the outpouring of the Spirit, 30 through 32, about wonders in the heavens, uh, which... I really think like 31, especially, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. I think we're talking about the tribulation here, uh, some of the goings-on during the time of tribulation that you'll read about like in Revelation 6, um, and then the great and terrible day of the Lord will come there at the end of Armageddon. And I love 32, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered, or literally saved, for in the Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Bert, uh, Revelation, uh, Romans ten thirteen. I'm sorry, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, Joel 2, 32. It's still that way, isn't it? Whoever it is. calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Hallelujah. And again, I think that refers back to your reference about the men servants and the maid servants there in verse 29. Whosoever shall call upon them. But notice these words too. Look at verse 28. I've already said afterwards, but now look at verse 31. It uses the word before. In other mm -hmm. words, we're looking at this age, what we call the church age of God doing his work and and a great work of god and again we this is what god's doing today's the day of salvation that's the reason alex and i tell people don't you put it off don't wait we just got through the book of acts you know and it says you know i'm going to wait for a convenient season listen that season is right now you need to trust christ and so Amen. alex here we have the judgment that is coming and and Notice what I was going to happen during that time. Chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and at mm -hmm. that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I'll also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I'll enter into judgment with them there. Now, I, again, I'm, I'm looking at the whole thing. On account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. God's going to start doing a work in these times. and But notice what he says. I will gather all the nations. God is active now, and he's going to be active during this period of two as well. 
Well, you know, the, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and that, this is a word that means, really means Yahweh judges, uh, Almighty God judges. And it's interesting, many have theorized at the Battle of Armageddon, all of the Gentile nations throughout all of history will be represented. Now, let's be clear, everybody has to answer for their own sin, you know, uh, people are judged individually, people are saved individually. Um, you might have the most godly grandparents that ever lived, but you yourself need to be born again and have a personal relationship with Jesus. But when all of these people are gathered, um, one of the judgment of the nations deals with how they treated Israel. Exactly. That's why, Bert, it's such an imperative thing. We've often said the best favor any American president could ever do the American people is to be a friend to Israel. And so it's interesting because, uh, let me just say this, look at verse 3. Well, verse 2 talks about the, the people um, and my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. L- let me say, part of the judgment of the Gentile nations is how they've treated Israel did they scatter or not, but also dividing up the land? Bert, uh, whenever the U.N. has really strong-armed Israel into giving up land for peace, I think about Joel 3, 2 here, um, because forcing the land to get broken up is against God. Amen. Okay, th- they have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for a harlot, sold a girl for wine that they might drink. Now we've when whenever I hear casting lots, I, I think about several things. I think about how they uh, replaced Judas with Matthias, but I mostly when I think about casting lots, I think about how they gambled for the Lord's uh, robe when he was on the cross. Um, but this thing of using a human uh, idea, to interfere with the work of God for convenience. Whenever people are gambling or casting lots, it's for easy gain, it's for convenience, it's for some human desire rather than something godly. Casting lots rarely has a good connotation, but um, it goes on, and this judgment is over personal sin, but national treatment of Israel as well. And it's uh, also gonna... cheap for life, regardless of yes. his life. Uh, a boy for a harlot, uh, a girl for wine, life is cheap. It, notice it says, cast lots for my people. It can be bought, you, you know? Yeah. And that's, it's yes, Jewish, but again, looking at it about how he, he's brought uh, his spirit on all, all who shall call upon the name of the Lord, I do believe it's just talking about how cheap, how cheap they treated Israel. Yes, but how cheap they treat life, and uh, that's the reason you stand for Israel. You stand for life, Alex. And well, and, amen. And you stand and, for and, marriage as well in our day. Yeah. Well, well, and and isn't that something? How some of these key issues that are very volatile issues nowadays go back to the very yep. beginning of time and to the Old Testament. Now. Uh, verse 5 says of chapter 3, because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my goodly pleasant things. In other words, 
that which is holy for the worship of God being made unholy and used for things other than for the worship of God. Uh, I skipped over verse 4, but there's the word recompense. God's going to make things right whenever you hear the word recompense. The children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have you sold to the Grecians that you might remove them far from their border. This is human trafficking. Isn't that something? It is, and it's unusual. They would talk about the Greeks 800 years before. Uh, This is, you know, that that throws a wrench into a lot of folks. Okay, when could this have been written? Could it really have been written that early and referred to the Greeks? Yes, you can. When you're looking at at what God does and the prophecies he does, like with Cyrus and others, and uh, I I just thought this is a prophetic word, Alex, as well. Well, it is. And by the way, let me say this. Um, Romans one sixteen. we often paraphrase, and maybe wrongly, Paul wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. That's what it says. Now, we often say to the Gentiles, and it is, uh, salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. But really, here's a beautiful connection between Joel 3.6 and Romans 1.16, that, that Greeks or Grecians that bought Jewish young people for slaves, they're going to be delivered from their enslavement to sin. And God they, is a merciful God. He is. And again, notice that you may remove them far from their borders. That goes back to the division of the land, the dividing of the people. But God gathers them back up into one land. It's going to be in that day, and we're waiting on it. Hey, we're going to continue in the book of Joel when we come back. If you can, if you don't have a copy of the Word of God, I think you'll really enjoy it, especially the last few verses. Don't go away. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Supreet Anand, Deputy Director for the Office of English Language Acquisition at the Department of Education. Her office informs policy decisions on English learners in the United States. Proverbs 1.5 reminds us of the importance of education and learning. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Supreet Anand in her role at the Department of Education. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says the truth in the Bible can change everything, but not until the words get off the page and into your life. He'll tell us how that happens today as we spend two minutes with Tony. When you're in trouble with the law, you don't just need a law book, you need a lawyer. When you're sick, you don't just need a medical manual, you need a doctor. When criminals are coming after you, you don't just need a penal code, you need a policeman. In other words, you need the visible manifestation of what has been recorded in the document. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. It records perfectly everything God wants you to know, but having the Bible doesn't turn what you know and what it says into your experience. A Christian can read what the Bible says and never be changed. 
because the Bible only becomes alive when you act in faith based on what it says in pursuit of a relationship with its author. You go and you buy some Alka-Seltzer and say it's going to fix your upset stomach, but it's not going to do much until you put it in the water. You put it in the water and you see all the power that was in that box. That thing starts fuzzing and bubbling up and it just looks like it'll hear you. Just having a Bible under your arm is like having pills in a box. It's not going to do much for you, but if you give it a little plop, plop, fizz, fizz, you let that thing sink into your soul as you pursue a relationship, you'll begin to discover an eruption taking place inside of you. You can have a sure experience with God. Don't be satisfied with a sermon. Don't be satisfied with coming to church. Be satisfied that I'm pursuing a person. Discover the benefits of putting first things first, starting with the Lord. Check out Tony's CD series, Restoring God to His Rightful Place, available online at TonyEvans.org. And then be sure to join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland, Bert Harper here, and we are finishing up the book of Joel. And, you know, Bert, I was thinking about this is one of those brief biblical books, uh, somewhat short, but man, is it powerful. And we're going to come up on a couple of very, very famous verses in Joel chapter 3. In fact, uh, one that is uh, really, really special, uh, especially, but we're in Joel chapter 3. And Bert, before the break, it was talking about how God does recompense. He brings back those that were victimized. Uh, but let's let's go to verse nine a little bit. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles: Prepare war, wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, "I am strong." Now that verse has been famously used, but a couple things I want to point out. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for peace, there's a time for war. Uh, History itself is a battle between righteousness and unrighteousness. The other thing is God treats Israel and the Gentile nations, um, Jew and Gentile, there's a distinction, and there are a lot of people nowadays that say, well, under the new covenant, Uh, Israel doesn't really matter anymore or something like that. No, Israel really does matter, and there's a difference between uh, the church and Israel, the Jew and the Gentile. Uh, God's very precise with how he deals with people and history, isn't he? He is. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to read a a verse from Isaiah in chapter uh, 2, verse 4, and then this verse in Joel, chapter 3.10. I'm first going to read from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. And it says, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now listen carefully. 
But here it says in Joel, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Alex, uh, Joel did a reverse on me. <laughs> I know. This that. is the, the, what you said about Ecclesiastes, a time for war. There's a time for peace. There's time for war. And over here in Joel, it is getting ready to fight the battle. And uh, there's a time for battle. There really is. And so here it says, uh, this time has come. So uh, you got to be prepared. So well, I, I found right. that interesting how, how that was reversed, brother. <laughs> uh, well, you know, the Isaiah 2-4 has frequently been used at places like the UN. But let me say this, as many have observed, there's never going to be world peace without Prince of Peace. And, you know, beat the swords into plowshares. So in other words, instead of a weapon, a plowshare is something you can turn the ground and grow crops, and that's all well and good. And, uh, and, there'll be a t- and there will be a time for that. There will be. We're waiting on that. It's going to be exactly. A, but it's going to be through Christ, the Prince of Peace, isn't it? And and let me say this: human government and socialism and enforced uh, equity. There's never going to be a change in the world till there's first a change in the human heart. And the only one that can do that is the Lord. Amen. I, I, I mean, so th- this is uh, why there's ultimately an Armageddon coming, because um, the human race cannot reform itself without God. So it's talking about this. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Uh, cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be awakened. Come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Okay, this is... Most would believe a uh, gathering to the to the Battle of Armageddon. Yeah, Put so. in the the sickle. The harvest is ripe. Come get you down. The press is full. The vats are overflowing. You know, songs like the Battle Hymn of the Republic talk about the wine press of God's wrath, and there's a reference to that in thirteen. Then finally, hey Bert, what evangelist would preach impassioned <laughs> messages? From Joel 3.14. Valley of decision. Now, listen, uh, it went to a specific thing, Valley of Jehoshaphat, and now it goes, let me read it, multitudes, multitudes in the Valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the Valley of decision. Alex, uh, let me say this. In that day, that decision may have already been made. You catch what I'm well, saying? Well, yeah, if you're at the Battle of Armageddon, yes, yeah. the decision's been made. But. Of course, Billy Graham famously <laughs> would preach multitudes, multitudes in the Valley of Decision. A couple of things I want to say. For one, he's got a magazine called Decision Magazine, which is a very fine magazine, and it's been my joy to write articles for it once in a while. But the word decision in the English Bible translated decision is the valley, it means judgment. Now, Armageddon is about the judgment of God, for sure. But let me talk about um, your relationship with Jesus, everybody, because you have to make a judgment call on this. Am I going to believe in Jesus? Am I going to act and respond to the overtures of the Holy Spirit or neglect it? Because here's the thing. Your ultimate standing in regard to God's judgment is defined by the the judgment you make about Jesus in this life. If you want to avoid the punishment of judgment, 
then adjudicate for Jesus. Believe on him. But if you judge against Jesus, the judgment of God will fall on you. It will. You see how it works? It, it works both ways, doesn't it? It really does, Alex. And today's the day. That's the reason so much is emphasized. Today's the day. Today's the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. And, and notice it says, if this happens, the sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. What, what does the sun and moon giving light do? It gives hope. You catch what I'm saying? And and even in the stars, everybody oh, find the north star and it will lead you home. How many churches now have the name North Star because it leads you home? But in that day, listen, they're darkened where they if that decision hadn't been made, you don't want to wait too late. Alex is saying right now is the time you need to make it. You're not assured of tomorrow. The 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 writer of James says that's presumptuous on our part for who knows what a day may bring. You just don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't even know what the end of this day brings. And so, yeah. Alex, the time of decision is now. And notice how he puts these together. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Isn't that something? Those two phrases, day of the Lord, valley of decision. Listen, you better get right with God and do it now. And Well, exactly. Now, uh, verse, verse 16 brings in something I love, and let me say it, and if you need to bring the rest of it in, the Lord also shall roar from Zion. Now, we talk about the lion, but when, a lamb, but when that lamb turns into the lion uh, and roars, you, you listen, uh, he is the lamb and the lion. He really is. And, well, uh, don't, um, do don't, you see this distinction? Um uh, or there's there's a, a roar and there's an uttering, you know. The, the Lord next shall, word, the next line, yeah, yeah, roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem. And again, I'm not trying to spiritualize too much, but but let me say this: C.S. Lewis famously he said, "God, God whispers to us in our day to day life, and God speaks to us in our joys, but God shouts to us in pain." Famously, Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, maybe there's days that you're just going through your day, you're thinking, wow, it's a good day, you know, and you might say, I'm blessed, or maybe not, but you just, you're thinking about things and you're having a good day. And then maybe there's times you actually say, you know, wow, I'm very fortunate. God, thank you. So God whispers to you. God speaks to you. Sometimes, though, God has to shout at you. Now, noise, a loud noise can be very unsettling. Bert, I was walking through a parking lot the other day, and uh, this uh, garbage truck was emptying a dumpster. And, you know, they're made of steel. And when the guy set that dumpster on the ground, it went bang. And everybody in the parking lot jumped. It was very startling. Now, you think about thunder can make people nervous. You wait till the Lord Almighty roars. You bet. I mean, people are going to melt in fear. Right now, respond to the Lord while he's uttering, and he might just be gently calling to you. Let let me say this. uh, Growing up, I knew when I had better respond to my mom or dad because <laughs> if they if they said Alex out, but if they ever got to my first name, Neil, <laughs> I mean, 
And listen, only once or twice in my whole life did my parents ever have to yell at me. But by the time the volume got escalated that much, I knew I had better get myself together. You know what I mean? Yeah, when they use your full name, you're in trouble. And uh, yes, you are. Hey, Alex, this is so powerful. We're looking at what takes place here in from verse 28 on through before that day. And then we've been talking about the judgment of that day, them coming to the Armageddon, them coming to the Valley of Decisions. But now we're looking at the blessings after that day. Uh, the yes. Lord, in verse 16, he introduces mm. that. He will roar from Zion, and the people will be a shelter for his, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, Dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no alien shall ever pass through her again. We're looking at a new day here. Uh, yeah. A Jerusalem holy, dwelling in Zion. We're talking about God bringing about an age that we've longed for, you know, uh, yes. when things are right. Let me read verse 18, and then we'll, I'll hand it over to you. And it will come to pass in that day. Always remember, we're talking about the day of the Lord. We're also talking about the day after the Lord. In that day, that the mountains shall drip with new wine. The hills shall flow with milk. There it is, milk and honey. And all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and the water of the valley of Achaia's. Alex, a new day, a beautiful day, a beautiful description of what God's bringing in, isn't it? Well, here on the last day of June, it might seem weird to mention a Christmas song, but do you remember it came upon a midnight clear? It has that, that wonderful lyric, Lo, the days are hastening on by prophet bards foretold when with, with the ever-circling years comes round the age of gold. All right, that's a reference, I believe, to the millennium and then yep. heaven. Um, when peace will overspread the earth and ancient splendors fling and the whole world give back the song that now the angels sing. You're right, and um, it says in verse 17, no more strangers passing through, or literally aliens. See, um, God right now has some open borders and open arms and there's this amnesty program. You might be an alien, but you can become a citizen through relationship with Jesus. But there's going to be a day when no more no more aliens pass through. You've got to, if you want to go into God's city, you've got to be have the right passport, and that's called salvation. Yes. And uh, the mountains will drop down new wine. The hills flow with milk. All right, this is a reference to prosperity and. Well, it's holiness, but whenever you talk about all these, the needs being met, milk and honey, um, the, the, the new day, that's what it's going to be. God is going to make all things new. Um, Egypt, which always references the world and the enemies of God, Egypt will be a desolation. Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. Okay, those that exacted violence, they're going to be judged. They're going to be the recipients of, of God's wrath. And isn't it something, uh, a desolation and a wilderness, those are 
desolation. That's like a desert. It is, Alex. And you go back to verse uh, chapter 3, the first part, and it talks about how they have divided the nations and how they had cast lots and how life was cheap. Right here is the reversal of that. Those are suffering because of what they did. In other words, a life lived for self, a life lived with life being cheap, will ultimately end in destruction. That's spiritualizing, but this is what happens to them. But look at verse 20 and 21. We want to go out with these lights bright. Listen, but Judah shall abide. Let me see what that next word is. Forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I'll acquit them of blood guilt whom I had not acquitted. For the Lord dwells in Zion. He not only roars from Zion, he dwells in Zion. What a day that will be, Alex. Amen, amen. And, you know, verse 21 is a fascinating verse. and It it means they will be acquitted of blood guiltiness. Now, sin, uh, their own disobedience to God, their treatment of others, but the blood guiltiness is that our sins— not only put Jesus on the cross, but the wrath of God that we deserved was put onto Jesus. So the King James renders verse 21, I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed. All right, uncleansed blood, that's what the lost person has. Now, your blood, that it, it's not God's sin that makes us guilty, it's our own sin, but he's willing to take that sin punishment for us. That's why uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. Turn to Jesus. Amen. Receive that forgiveness. And like the Lord, you'll be in Zion. For the Lord dwells in Zion. Here's the question. Does the Lord dwell in you? Has he taken Amen. up residence in your life? I hope he has. If not, please trust him. We're going to take your phone calls. That number, 888 The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training. Here's another of our core values. We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God. And our role is that of a trusted manager. Thank you for standing with AFA as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. Are you in need of hope, encouragement, and the love of God? I'm Pastor Salem. I'd like to invite you to join us for the Christian Worship Hour. For decades, I've been teaching the Word of God so that people everywhere can experience the love and power of a personal relationship with our Lord. Tune into this station this weekend and prepare to be blessed and encouraged by another life-changing message. Learn more about our program at ChristianWorshipHour.com. Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to the most recent reports provided by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, researchers looked at fertility rates for women of all age groups and ethnicities and found the nationwide rate was 16% lower than what is needed for a population to replace itself. There has been much discussion about the demographic winter in various European countries. Well, that demographic winter has reached the United States. The first command God gave mankind in Scripture was be fruitful. 
but man has the penchant to fancy his own ways over God's. Rejecting God's ways always carries severe consequences. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Hebrews 4:16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Once I came home and my wife Michelle said to me, Honey, I need to tell you something. And so I sat down and she began telling me about something that had happened to her. At a certain point, I thought she was done telling me, and so I got up and began to walk out of the room. Well, that was a big mistake. She followed me, looked at me sweetly, and very kindly said, Stephen, I wasn't finished yet. Well, has that ever happened to you? It's bad when we do that to other people, but it's far worse when we do that to God. Everything God has revealed in the Old Testament is an incomplete message that is completed with the coming of Christ. Thankfully, we can know His message fully and confidently today because of Jesus. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Welcome back to the program. We're going to take phone calls now. And, Bert, we're going to get as many questions in as we can. <laughs> By the way, folks, the number is 888-589-8840. And I'm so excited about our book coming out, The Top 100 Questions from the First 10 Years of Exploring the Word. It's finished. It's on the press, even as we speak. And uh, as Sherathon, uh Fall 2021 gets here, we'll tell you how you can get a copy of that book. But... First of all, my home state of North Carolina, it's Jessica. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for accepting my call and my question. Um, I do have, I guess it's just a one-part question. Will non-believers hear the trumpet when the rapture happens? Because I would think if they did, it would give them time to repent. Okay. Jessica, great question. You know, it says something. He's coming back in the twinkling of an eye. Alex, uh, that's faster than a blink, and I don't mean to discourage that, Jessica, but I doubt if they'll have time at that point in time. Now, there are some people who believe that after the rapture, during the tribulation, uh, some people believe it's people who have never heard that get saved. Others believe it's time for others. But at that point, Alex, it sounds like it's going to be very quick, twinkling of an eye. Yeah, and do you know what? I was talking to a diver that rescues people and helps recover bodies, you know, when this was near near the ocean. And so many people, he was telling me stories, and it's kind of graphic. I don't want to really talk about it, but how many people die in automobile wrecks, and it happens so quickly. And let me just say this, whether it's trying to plan the time of the rapture or I think there are millions of people that leave this world, and it comes so quickly they didn't have time to think about it, and you're in eternity. So come to Christ while you have an opportunity, which is is right now. So uh, let's go to Mississippi. Joseph in Mississippi, welcome to Exploring the Word. Yes, how are you, uh, Brother Alex and, and Brother Bert? 
Doing good, man. Doing good. Y'all said something that I, I, I plead with the Holy Spirit when y'all were talking about um, um, choosing lots from Matthias. But I think they might have been a little bit presumptuous because I believe it might have been ordained for Paul to be the 12th apostle. <laughs> uh, Alex, I've heard that as well, you know that uh, they kind of got ahead of themselves. Uh, Paul was that guy. Uh, but it's interesting, Joseph, when you read that. It, it, there's, honestly or not, there's a little bragging on, Joseph, uh, uh, on Judas. It says, for he obtained part of this ministry. It, yeah. I don't know exactly everything that means, but I, I believe it means that he was not a freeloader. He did do work, and it shows you. Just because you do the work and just because you look good to everybody else doesn't mean you're right with God. Now, do you think they were as presumptuous by getting Matthias, Alex, or do you think that— Um. Well, you know, no, because when we read about it in Acts, and of course, you know— and by the way, um, early churches named Matthias a saint, ultimately, uh, so he was held up as somebody to be, you know, respected and, and looked to— uh, and you know the conversion of Saul w- would be down the road, so uh, it had not happened yet. So no, I think they were doing the best they could. And when you read about it in the book of Acts, there's not any kind of condemnation or anything like that. Um, it's just kind of stated matter-of-factly. We really don't know a lot about him. But I'm I'm not thinking that they were getting out of God's will because. Um, you know, Paul would definitely make a name for himself and be used by God in a great way. I, I, I think they were following the Lord, but it's just one of those things that we, we really, we, I don't think we can say yay or nay or condemn yeah, them. Do that's, you really? That's one of the questions we want to answer in the book. <laughs> that's one. Yeah. Of, I, I'm being a little bit trying to be funny, but you know, there are some things like that, Alex. Like when Barnabas and Silas, you know, when. Uh, Barnabas didn't go with Paul, and Silas did. Who was right? Yeah. Uh, man, I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we, we don't know but, all that. And I'd say Matthias Joseph is one of those things. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's—I think it's wrong to condemn it. I'll put yeah. it that way. In, in Luke 10, it talks about the 70 that the Lord had appointed— and presumably from among those 70, Matthias had distinguished himself, and uh, he kind of got a promotion, it seems like. So it's just one of those things. But thank God for all of those early church leaders, and we're standing on their shoulders to this day. We're going to go to Melissa in, um, I believe it's Arkansas. Am I right, Melissa? You're in Arkansas? Yes, that's right. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I was wondering how um, these vision-type books and movies and things line up with Scripture. Is that is that scriptural at all, like the 23 minutes in hell? Okay. Uh, I, let me share this with you. I don't want to go on record as condemning them. I don't want to go on record as saying, oh, yes, they're the best things. We have a more sure word, and, and I use this quite often, Alex, and I, I don't apologize for it. It does say there'll be visions and dreams, and I believe that people will. But we have a more sure word. Everything like that, you put up and and put it with Scripture. And and I, again, be careful. But, you know, Alex, you may have a more 
concerned well, you know, than I do, but Scripture is a more sure word for sure. It is Second uh, Peter one sixteen through twenty one says we have this sure word of prophecy. In other words, this dependable word of prophecy. And several years ago, there was there was a book about um, t- well, two different books within one year about people that allegedly saw and experienced heaven and came back to tell about it. I always get a little bit nervous, I really do, because uh, we we really, I think, are on dangerous ground when we take the word of people on things that only the Bible can really speak about definitively, and I'll tell you why. Look, for everybody that's got a vision of the afterlife that seems to square up with the Bible, then there's other books where people get a vision of the afterlife that doesn't square up with the Bible. And I'm not going to name the titles or the authors, but there have been plenty of visionary-type books that were very unbiblical. And so you get down to, well, my word versus this other person's word. Let's take God's word, because when we read the Bible, um, the word of the Lord supersedes everybody else. Amen. So, you know... Square up everything by Scripture, and if it, if it's less than biblical, um, I would say don't believe it. Let's go to Oklahoma. I love Oklahoma because I always have really good food when I'm out there. <laughs> Timothy, uh, in Oklahoma, w- what city in Oklahoma are you in, Timothy, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I'm in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Beautiful out yes, there. Sir. Well, we're glad Is to have you. Is that where Real Rogers was from? Yeah, I actually grew up uh, going to Will Rogers in uh, my uh, kindergarten class. Amen. That's, I thought I remember that. The great comedian, communicator. Uh, welcome to Exploring the Word, Timothy. Yeah, it's my first time on. I usually go to uh, uh, E.W. Jackson uh, for his uh, stuff. But, uh, sir, I would like to make a like to ask a question I asked the man that, you know, was asking me what I was asking. Sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, uh, in, uh, was it Romans 3, uh, 10, 13, it said that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, uh, of course, you were speaking about the prophecy of Joel. In those days, you know, I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And he was including the same scripture, also in Revelation. I want to just point out the whosoever statement. If God says that whosoever, doesn't that include everyone? Whoever hears the gospel, whoever hears the call to repent, because it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen, Hmm. it does. And I think we we commented on that. If you remember, uh, Timothy, we talked about that scripture about the young men uh, seeing uh, visions and dreams, the old men, you know, and then it says the maidservants and the uh, manservants, and we talked about that. And then it goes to that, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. I I do believe... That is collective offering salvation, not not universal salvation, but collective offering salvation. Alex, was, is that a way to put it? A- absolutely, and and hey, I definitely believe whosoever will may come, whosoever will, uh, anyone that wants to be saved can turn to Christ and be saved. It is interesting though that in Joel. 232, there are two callings. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved or delivered. 
Then it goes on, listen to Joel 2.32. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So people call on the name of the Lord, but the Lord calls people too. And remember in John 6.37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. So Norm Geisler used to say it this way, um, above the door of heaven there's a big sign that says, whosoever will may come. And then you walk in that door, Jesus. But on the other side that says, chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, Bert, with a few remaining minutes, I don't want to open up a Pandora's box that we can't adequately speak to today. But somehow there is the foreknowledge of God because God, by definition, omniscient, he has to know everything because he's God. But that does not compromise our free will and our responsibility to respond to the overtures of God. I, Bert, I have to confess, I don't understand how it works, but they both work, don't they? They, they are not in conflict. That's the whole idea. God saying, whosoever will may come, and you were chosen before the foundation of earth, they're not in conflict. The shortcoming of that is our understanding, our comprehension. And just, just Norman Geisler, I've heard that as well. And uh, I, Charles Spurgeon, in one of his sermons, he used this. He said, you have the sovereignty of God, God's foreknowledge, God's predestination on mm-hmm. one track, and you have man's accountability and the capacity to choose on the other track. When you look at it up close, you see two tracks like a train. But if you lift your eyes, they're going in the same direction. And if you look far enough, it seems like they come together. We Mm. can't see, according to Spurgeon, we can't see far enough out into eternity to see where these two join. But there's no conflict, and they do agree. God, that's God's business, not mine. It's mine just to preach it and teach it and say, whosoever will may come, trust Jesus and do it now. And let God handle it. We're going to go to Bobby in Alabama. Bobby, thank you for holding, and welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you. I first want to say God bless both of y'all. I just absolutely love your show, and I am so glad that I found it. It it really helps especially since I don't have a lot of people to talk to and ask questions about. But my question um, is, I love prophecy, and I have been studying about the rapture, and I believe the, the question is not when, but why Jesus is coming back. And I was watching an online pastor, and I always have questions when I watch somebody, whether it's, whether it's the truth or not. And he said that in Acts 9, you have Paul up to that point, and then after that, it switches over to Peter. And that during Paul's absence, he travels to Arabia, to Mount Sinai, where he receives a revelation from God, being the first book of Thessalonians, which, of course, they say is the first book of the New Testament. And he quotes that he gets all of his information, with Paul being a a student of the Torah, that from Exodus 19, he talks about God coming in a cloud, he talks about just several other things. And through that, God reveals to him about the the, uh, the the rapture coming. And he also says that the reason that it could not be revealed up until a certain time is because 
uh, Christ had not come yet, so it wasn't until Christ came that this particular prophecy could be revealed to man. Does that sound at all true? A lot of it is true. He did spend that time in Arabia. Now, the thing about First Thessalonians being the first book, uh, you know, there's some disagreement on which letters Paul wrote. James was written before that now, and I don't know if he. you're talking about Paul's first letter or the first letter that was probably in the New Testament. Alex, uh, there's, there's some truth in that, but the revelation that he got, we're not ex- told exactly what he did receive. And is it assuming a lot to say it was First Thessalonians? Yeah, I mean, because cause, I mean, there there are a lot of things like um, the the Gospel of Mark is thought to be the the gospel that was written first, right. and so um, let me just say this: the Church recognized the books that God had given. Um, I, I want to say a word about Paul, but you know, people ask, "How did the Church choose the canon?" No, the Church didn't quote choose the canon of Scripture. The Holy Spirit gave the words, and the Church recognized the canon, but all of these books, um, except the book of Revelation, are, are just universally acknowledged to have been written from about 40 to 70 A.D. Then the final book of the New Testament was written about 95 A.D., the book of Revelation. The Church had acknowledged the New Testament, and it was well known and acknowledged by about 125. So Paul alludes in Galatians 1 about his time in Arabia, and, uh, you know, he, by the time Galatians is written, he was a well-seasoned apostle, having known the Lord a number of years. Um, We know they're in the canon exactly when they were all written. A little bit of debate there, but not too much. We know the time window. Matthew 24 has a lot to say and prepare for what we've been talking about, the day of the Lord. Uh, be yes. ready for that day. Be ready for the rapture. Uh, but when he comes, he's coming in judgment. Yes, he is. But he's also coming in deliverance. Only God. Alex, only God. Could get it both done. Well, what a joy to be with you all on Exploring the Word. We appreciate you listening. Tell somebody about the American Family Radio Network and Exploring the Word. Most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus.